This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. It's Obehave with Arden Moore. This show that teaches you how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Join Arden as she travels coast to coast to help millions better understand why cats and dogs do what they do. Get the latest scoop on famous faces. They're perfectly pampered pets in Who's Walking Who in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails. Garner great pet tips and have a doggone fur-flying fun time. So get ready for the pause and applause as we unleash your all-behave host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome to the Obehave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Now raise your right paw if you agree that having a pet in your life makes your life better. Dogs, cats, other companion animals, they don't care if you're a billionaire or if you work for minimum wage. They don't care if you live in a mansion or a tent as long as they're with you. Now, I want you to get ready for a very special episode today, listeners. This is the one that will fill you with compassion and hopefully action. I am honored to welcome a board-certified emergency medicine veterinarian who is leading a nationwide effort to provide free medical care for pets to the homeless. And as you will discover, he does much more. Let's give pause and applause to my new pet hero, the remarkable Dr. John Geller. Welcome to the show, Dr. Geller. Well, thanks, Arden. That was, I've got my paws up. <laughs> that, was, that was a really nice introduction. I appreciate the kind words. Well, as I said, uh, I was a long time as a newspaper reporter, and I believe if your mother tells you she loves you, check it out. I checked you out, and you passed with flying colors. Oh, glad to hear it. <laughs> hey, folks, uh, Dr. Geller is the founder and executive director of two nonprofits. One is called the Street Dog Coalition and the other is called the Ladybug Fund. Now, we're going to discover the good work this good doctor is performing right after we take this commercial break. So, you know the drill. Sit and stay. We'll be right back. Time for a pause. For furry ones, actually, sit and stay. All Behave will be right back. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com All Behave is back with more tail-wagging ways to achieve harmony in the household with your pets. Now back to your fetching host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome back to the Old Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Our special guest today is Dr. John Geller. He's an inspirational veterinarian and founder of these two nonprofits, the Street Dog Coalition and the Ladybug Fund. Now, both are aimed at providing medical care for an often overlooked population, the homeless 
and those unable to pay for emergency care for their pets. I mean, wow. I mean, I got to say, bow wow, Dr. John. I think you should be promoted to the title of St. John. Mm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think so. No, no? Okay. <laughs> so let's get started right off. Let's first distinguish the difference, the Street Dog Coalition and the Ladybug Fund, and we will definitely uh, be shouting out their websites and Facebook pages. Okay. There are two fairly different programs with a lot of overlap. Maybe just I'll start off with the Ladybug Fund because it's been around longer. And it's a pilot program, meaning it's a fund that we're hoping to repeat in other states because right now we're only active in Colorado. Okay. The mission is to reduce the incidence of economic euthanasia where pet owners actually have to put their pets to sleep because of the lack of funds, even though they may have a treatable disease. And this usually happens in the middle of the night when there's only one option. You know, usually it's in a 24-hour emergency clinic somewhere. And, and those clinics are expensive. And so it's it's really hard. Obviously, it's devastating for owners and for the staff of these emergency hospitals have to go through this uh, euthanasia decision. So the Ladybug Fund relies on trickle donations and other funds to provide enough care at least to get that pet through the night and look at other options the next day. It doesn't necessarily pay for a $5,000 surgery, but it will usually, again, get them through the night, stabilize, provide pain management etc. So though that fund is available in five cities in Colorado, each at a 24-hour emergency hospital. I like that part right there because a lot of folks do have that awful decision sometimes when money is tight. And if they could just get through the night stabilizing their pet, then maybe, as you said, uh, they can see their own veterinarian during the day and, and records and all that and information can be transferred. That would save a lot of money and save a lot of lives. Exactly. And then we're partnered up with some other groups to help make that happen. Just to mention the trickle donation idea, every pet owner that comes into any of these emergency hospitals, when they check in, they're given the opportunity to kick in an extra two bucks or five bucks to help cover these cases. And a good many of these pet owners will do that. So that's how we get funds trickling in from the five different hospitals to allow, to, allow us to build up enough money to help these pets in the middle of the night. And, and for everybody listening, uh, we'll have it on our site, but I want you to dash over to theladybugfund.org after this show. Now, let's get into the other nonprofit that you are running, and that is the streetdogcoalition.org. Yeah, so that's a that's kind of what I'm involved in right now in a fairly big way. Started several years ago. I was at a veterinary conference in Nashville, Tennessee, walking across a bridge saw a homeless guy with his with his pet and it was just kind of just the way he looked at me he was accepting but he was he was kind of asking a question with his eyes i thought and the question was you know why not why can't we provide basic care to these folks because to be honest with you when you look at the numbers there's probably about a million homeless folks in the united states and five to ten percent of them have dogs or cats and so we're dealing with about fifty thousand pets which really isn't a big number in the scheme of things, knowing that there's uh, well over 50 million pets in the United States. And I think uh, veterinary medicine as a profession has the resources to provide this this free care. It's just a matter of how do we do it. And so that's what I set out to do. And we've set up street dog teams, we call it. And again, we take care of cats also, of course. In different cities throughout the U.S., I'm really busy in Colorado, my home state. And during the warmer months, we travel up and down the front range doing street clinics in, in different cities. And our street dog teams, which are now in 20 different cities in the United States, are basically doing the same thing. And it can take quite a few different forms. 
who makes up your street dog teams? Are they veterinarians, vet techs? What kind of folks are so it's, on the team? Each team is led by a veterinarian who's responsible for the quality okay. of care. And, and a really big priority for us is to, is to make sure the care is it's very personalized and it actually is high quality. It's just not highly technological. We're you know we're using X-ray vision instead of X-rays. <laughs> and I, by yeah. that I mean a good physical exam and history. Uh, and then we have veterinary technicians. We have others that are that help us with just intake and paperwork and uh, handling the pets and sometimes even crowd control. Okay. And as you said, now what did you have a conversation with that gentleman when you crossed that bridge in uh, Nashville? No, we just, kind kind of, we just kind of spoke through our eyes, I think. And what I noticed, and this is a reoccurring theme, is his dog actually looked really good. And in general, these pets of the homeless are a pretty healthy group. And they have a lot of, you know, I call it a street sense and hybrid vigor. They're well socialized. They have to live outside. So they're generally healthier than, I would say, the general population of pets in the United States, just because they have to be to survive on the street. And when you say by like a street sense and, you know, they're living outdoors and tell me a little bit about it. Let's give me a couple of cases of involving some dogs or your observations, how the dogs are versus the cats that are teamed up with the folks without homes. So these dogs become, you know, definitely like life partners to these folks that are living outside. And because of the high level of social dysfunction and mental health issues that exist on the street, usually it's you know, kind of a pack of two, I call it, a owner and their dog. And so, ironically, I think many of them have better lives than, than our own pets because they do live out an active outside life, which for most dogs is fun. And they're right. with their owners, usually with their owners, 24-7. And then you combine that with the fact that their owner will feed them first and take care of their needs before their own. And you can see why they're potentially living a pretty good life. You know, they definitely require some medical care because living outside – adds public health risk, you know, they probably have twice the risk of, of rabies or twice the risk of leptospirosis, right? tick-borne disease, just because the exposure is, is much more. And they don't have probably their baseline of vaccinations either, right? Right. Many of them have, have never seen a vet or, or the owners don't know if they have because the dogs kind of get uh, traded around. So our first job is to make sure we get that rabies vaccine in them because of the the public health issues. It's not so much that rabies is a high-risk disease in dogs. It's that if someone gets bitten, it becomes kind of a legal and financial and a public health nightmare. Their dog might have to be quarantined, et cetera, or or even euthanized in some cases. So we get that done, and then we do, do the other core vaccines. But it's the approach. How are you approaching folks? You have to develop a level of trust, don't you? We do, and that takes a while. We put yeah. on street clinics where pretty much nobody showed up. And that's that. the point is you don't care, you just do it again. We have learned that learned some lessons along the way. And so we try to network with people that are already working in the homeless community and that are trusted. And so we piggyback along with them many times. And they're the ones that help get the word out. It is hard to communicate with this group as a whole. So so we closely work with homeless advocates and, and resources. To so who would be, would these be social workers? Give me some examples. Churches, what? Homeless shelters are kind of the base. Okay. And these can be night overnight shelters or day shelters. The day shelters provide daytime services. So that's often where we might set up shop. And they uh, they have usually have mental health services there and social workers. 
that'll help guide us in is picking the best place to set up and find out where are the encampments, where are the homeless folks, where are the ones with pets, because it can it can be very hard sometimes to figure out where the best place to set up a street clinic is, for example. Or folks are, are often hiding out down by the river. I mean, they're, they're not in real obvious places because they're probably going to get kicked out. So it is a challenge to find them and offer services to them and at the same time not open up the floodgates so that everybody with a pet might be looking for free services might come and and that has happened a few times where we've just been overwhelmed with folks that were outside that group. Yeah, and that's a shame. I mean, sincerely. I want to get a little bit more into where they hang out and things like that, but I also wanted to ask you, what's the difference between uh, cats with the homeless and dogs with the homeless? What's the take on the cats and the dogs? Because, uh, you know, obviously they both probably bring a lot of good to these folks. Mm-hmm. The cats, you know, we've seen are sometimes they're with dogs, sometimes they're in carriers. Sometimes they're on a harness and a leash, mm-hmm. and it, sometimes it seems like they're literally just carrying these cats around. I'm sure they have a leash for them, too. But I think for many folks, they like being with cats, and cats are probably easier in lots of ways to take care of. They're smaller. You can. One of the big issues that we hear about is folks with pets can't get into overnight shelters to sleep, so they're forced to sleep out on the street because these shelters don't allow pets, but they much more likely allow a cat that was enclosed in a, in a small carrier. So I think life is a little bit easier if you've got a cat versus a dog, especially a big dog. Okay. And the cats, are their kind of temperament or how would you, they don't seem stressed out or anything? No, they're, they're very tolerant. And so that makes, really is true with dogs too. They're fine with us handling them. You know, we're always cautious. We aren't afraid to use muzzles if we have to because we don't want anyone to get hurt for some of the reasons I mentioned earlier. Right, right. But most of these cats have a great personality. They've been around chaos a good part of their lives. So, so a little veterinary exam is no big deal. <laughs> when you say chaos, what do you mean? Life on the street. I mean, it's, yeah. doing this work, it kind of I've been sucked into this issue of homelessness. So, so now it's it's gone beyond just what's happening with these pets, but it's all it is all tied together. But it is again, I just can't emphasize how tough it is on the street for a homeless person that has a pet because now they aren't even able to go in into stores or doctor's offices and get exams, or it's even hard to take a shower because so many homeless shelters and places just don't allow pets. So there's a lot of people around. There can be some some fighting going on. It's not unusual for that to happen. What and kind of fighting do you mean? Between the dogs or lots, or? lots of yelling. Oh, actually, okay. unfortunately, backpacks get stolen. Again, this is a group that's obviously not real well adjusted to society. So so conflict on the street is definitely part of it. And violence is something, especially against women, that that I'm thinking that dogs, that service dogs, meant to serve a protective role, not an aggressive way. Um, would actually really be helpful for many of these women that I see toughing it out uh, living on the street. Have you had any opportunity to pair uh, service dogs with some of these women? We have. It's kind of happened somewhat on, on its own, but that's just one of those projects. I don't even think they need to be service dogs. I think they just need to be trained to be, they might have to have the right temperament or selected, I should say, for right. both uh, protection and companionship. And the ironic thing is there's many dogs like that in, in our shelters that probably be looking for a good home. And one of the arguments we have is if a pet is with a homeless person that is loving them to death and taking care of their needs, is that pet homeless or is that pet really homeless if they're in the shelter uh, without an owner you know, to love or take care of them? We're all talking, folks, to uh, Dr. John Geller. He is the founder of the Street Dog Coalition and, as we mentioned earlier, the Lady Bug Fund. This is a huge, huge 
mission you're taking on? Do you wish you could clone yourself? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but I'm definitely always trying to recruit other folks to help. And I'm finding that veterinary students, you know, really, and we're talking about the millennial generation, have been much maligned for certain reasons, are overall very passionate about this focus as part of veterinary medicine, as I call it street outreach. And uh, they want to be involved. So many of our street clinics do involve veterinary students, just as there are similar clinics involving medical students. That sounds great. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more with Dr. John Geller. Please, you know the drill. Just sit and stay. We'll be right back. Time for a walk on the red carpet, of course. All Behave will be back in a flash right after these messages. Molly, here's your dinner. (laughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Life Hi, it's Rochelle Fev from the Twilight franchise, inviting you all to listen to OB Have with Arden Moore on PetLifeRadio.com. And I think you should encourage other people to listen too, because I'll tell you from personal experience, Arden knows. We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to OBHAVE. Here's Arden. Welcome back to the OBHAVE show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. And with us today is Dr. John Geller. He's got some pretty uh, stellar uh, credentials. He is uh, board certified in veterinary emergency medicine, canine and feline medicine. He's the director and founder of the Street Dog Coalition and the Ladybug Fund. And he is a proud papa to a couple of fine felines named Thomas and Eddie. What's the 411 on those two cats? Yeah, they always have a story. Thomas was surrendered at our emergency clinic because the owner couldn't afford to pay for his broken leg after he fell out of a tree. So that involved a vet student took him over, got to do the surgery with another veterinarian, and she decided... She couldn't take care of him anymore, so we got we were. How, which leg was it? Which it was. I think it was his. Uh, I mean, it was back leg, okay. and now he's all healed up. So I'm not even sure, but I remember. <laughs> him, but he does. He sometimes lays in very strange positions, probably related to his leg. But maybe uh, he's doing feline yoga. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, and cats really they're so their spines are so flexible. But you yeah. know, many how, hours of cheap entertainment just watching them. How old is he, and what kind of markings does he have? Guessing. He's kind of gray and white. I'm not sure exactly. I'm not very good with my cat breeds. So oh, that's okay. Most sure. of them aren't breeds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some kind of mix. He looks kind of Abyssinian, mm-hmm. uh, but his markings have changed over time. So he's a pretty cat. They, is he the about a year cats, old, you said? or how old? What's that? How old do you think Gat Oh, He's about eight years old. Okay. And how about Eddie? Eddie's a seven-year-old that we uh, was adopted from a feed store 
And he was supposed to be, he was a tiny little kitten, really, small cat. And he was supposed to be, we thought, maybe one of these kind of miniature mini cats mm-hmm. that wouldn't get very big. But he's, well, both of them are actually quite large, don't do a great job of <laughs> controlling their weight. It's a challenge mm-hmm. for many cat owners, right? Right. They're indoor indoor cats, lazy. They. I was going to do a study and act, literally stay up for 24 hours to see what these cats do for 24 hours because... I suspect they sleep for about 25 of those 24 hours. <laughs> Probably. What kind of markings does Eddie have and what's his uh, he's, personality? He's one of those tuxedo cats, black okay. and white. All right. And he's you know a little bit strange. Uh, sometimes he kind of gives you a blank look, but overall he's very, very affectionate, loves to knead you with his sharp claws. And nice. Yeah. Both cats are like that. So Only on your nice clothes, right? Yeah, okay. definitely. Like my, my down coat has little pieces of down coming out of it now. <laughs> I have to get some duct tape. So what got you into the field of veterinary medicine? You know, I took a, a detour. I didn't even go to vet school till I was 40 years old. Wow. And I worked as a kind of a builder up in the mountains of Colorado for 15 years. Never really finished college. Went to a few places. I spent six months traveling in the desert with a with a pack burrow, kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But that's when I was 23. So when I was 38, I, I finally decided, hey, I think I know what I want to do. This sounds great because it combined with science and you know, my love of animals. And so I went to vet school at age 40 and got out at age 45. So I'm kind of a late, definitely a late start, but it works out well because I'm also not burned out like a lot of my colleagues who, who've been doing point, this for right. 30 or 40 years. So it's working out really well, especially as a set career. I always tell people it's never too late. And I, I definitely meet folks who say, oh, I wish I had been a veterinarian. And maybe they're like 32 years old. It's like, wow, I wasn't even thinking about being a veterinarian yet. Sure. Well, you know, they have a show, the rookie, you know, he's 40. I think uh, they should do a show now called The Veterinarian and you could be the star of it. You know, there's there's people older than me, and I mean, there's people in their mid fifties in vet school these days. So it has it is a thing. It is a great second career. Yeah. I don't know, Arden, if you thought about still going to vet school, but you probably could. Well, I love you, but I'm I think I'm a little older than you, but I agree. I think uh, because I'm in the field of pet first aid and CPR, and I spend a lot of time with veterinarians, I'm not queasy about blood, and I like cats and dogs. It was something I wish I would have done it a little sooner. But I, I just admire people that are doing things for pets because your patients aren't telling you, hey, doc, it hurts right here. That's true. Uh, but many veterinarians choose that career path because they don't necessarily, <laughs> it's kind of like that. They don't necessarily want to be dealing with people that are telling them where it hurts all the time. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of hypochondriac poodles out there, are there? No, there's not. Uh, so it's it's kind of similar to pediatric medicine though because it is it is not something for someone that says hey I just want to work with animals I love animals I'm not really that great with people it is a people profession the owners are who we talk to and communicate with and it's those skills I think really determines a veterinarian's success or failure versus his his scientific knowledge and ability to do surgery or procedures Yeah. Now, getting back to the homeless, you talked a little bit, and I wanted to get a little bit more specifics. There are a lot of encampments, and uh, you did a presentation recently at a vet conference, and I appreciate you sending your presentation to me. I used to live in Oceanside, California. I'm very Mm -hmm. familiar with the Santa Ana area of Orange County, California. You've got uh, a riverbed, and, and you talked about the encampment, quote, guard dogs. What's that all about? Well, this riverbed encampment, which actually doesn't exist anymore, but I was there in January of last year, so about a year ago. 
basically a bike trail going along the Santa Ana River. And both sides of this trail are lined with tents and, and shacks. And they're fairly permanently lived in, meaning this isn't just one night at a time. Folks have set up camp there and set up their little houses and I say over half of them have little chihuahuas or large pit bulls guarding their camps because <laughs> okay. that's kind of their own their own police system. Uh, okay. No one else is providing security. So chihuahuas are actually great camp guards because they're pretty noisy and yeah. they can actually be a little bit scary. That uh, literally the week after I was there and taken some pictures, that camp got completely shut down and everyone was moved out of it and forced to find other places to go. I think they had 30 days of um, motels. And then after that, they've dispersed in other places around in Orange County. I was was just in Long Beach area, and the Los Angeles River also has a bike trail along it. And it it has encampments along it as well. But every so often, they they will get shut down and have to start all over. But because these dogs provide that protective function and companionship, you know, it is a good match. But they need veterinary care. We provide preventive care, but we also deal with, there's lots and lots of skin issues, you know, places right. like California with fleas, and you go up further north and Midwest, and ticks are a big problem, and certain areas of, uh, down in Florida, heartworms are a big problem, so so it's important to just get them the basic medical care and try to try to do as much as we can in that setting. You know, we definitely aren't doing major surgery out in the field, but we can do quite a bit, just like a, you know, a paramedic could do out of an ambulance. So it seems like there's kind of a catch-22 you're facing. You're going to these places, these encampments, and maybe word of you coming can sometimes alert the authorities or the authorities. I mean, it, it seems like it's a vicious cycle because these people need a place to be, and they can't just puff up into a cloud and, you know, hang out on the clouds. Right. If you have a few minutes, I, I can yeah. tell you a quick story that, that happened in to me in Las Vegas where we were is this with the tunnel people or what? Yeah, with the tunnel people. We okay. were getting set up to do a street clinic. And literally the night before, the Las Vegas, this is North Las Vegas we're talking about. Very different right. than Las Vegas. North Las Vegas is really, t- it's a concrete jungle. I mean, okay. there's no grass or everyone's sleeping on the sidewalk. But there had been a, actually a serial murderer that was, had been killing some homeless men that had been sleeping on the sidewalk. And, and he did this in the same almost the same location each time. The police had set up a sting using just a sleeping bag just over over a mannequin and set up a video camera. And they actually caught a guy on videos sledgehammering this mannequin, you know, quote unquote, to death. So they were able to, obviously, they figured out who it was. They found the guy. They traced him back to the other murders. But the next day, there was lots of lots of police officials, lots of policemen, lots of city officials around. And when we tried to set up our street clinic, they were there and they were nearby and it kept everyone away. And so our, our attendance was much less than we expected because of presence of city officials. And then I found out that a lot of these pet owners may not be legal immigrants, for example. So they're worried. Oh, yeah. They're even just worried about their pets being taken away because they don't have a proper license. You know, there may be warrants out for their arrest. So so what we learned was uh, try to minimize the presence of, of officials and, and police as much as we can, but we still have to have to worry a little bit about security in some areas. So kind of fine balance. But that, that all goes to the trust. And we've been doing stuff in Las Vegas since then, and now there's rotating clinics, and now there's a high level of trust. So explain how you built that trust the second time you went to Vegas, because it sounds like these folks could use your help. You said you work with, but what specifically, what's the kind of conversation you have, or is there certain body language things you do to build that I'm here to help you, I'm not here to take you away from your pet? 
Well, it goes back to what I said earlier. We partnered with another group called, they're called Street Dogs LV, Street Dogs okay. Las Vegas. They spell it with a Z. Okay. work in Las Vegas. They provide free pet food and medical supplies and free pet boarding. If someone, you know, let's say someone has to go to jail or they have to go into a rehab or whatever, they, they take care of their pets for them. Oh, nice. We partnered with them and they, have, they had already developed a lot of trust. And so every two or three months, we're doing a street clinic in a different part of North, North Las Vegas. Okay. Them. And then Las Vegas is uh, has a large homeless population. They do an event called Homeless Connect, mm-hmm. which I'm, they probably have in, in Dallas and, and yeah. many other big cities where multiple services are offered in a large one-day event where people can rotate between getting haircuts, legal aid, housing assistant, free clothing, free meal, goes on and on. And we provide free medical care. So they had over 4,000 people show up at the last Homeless Connect Wow. Las Vegas. And probably only, I think only two or 300 of them brought their pets, but that's still a lot of pets to deal with in one day. So there's those kind of events also. We're getting ready to wrap up the show, and I know we could talk to you for years, and even dog years. But Dr. Geller, what are some things specifically our listeners can do? Because not everyone may feel good about just joining or helping out, you know, in person. But I want to make sure we get everything out there. It's it is the StreetDogCoalition.org and the LadybugFund.org, but uh, and follow you guys on Facebook. But can you give our listeners some help on how they can help? Yeah, definitely. Really, to keep it simple, I'm trying not to sound too mercenary. We, <laughs> yeah. need, we need funds for medical supplies. Okay. And really, nobody's. we're a volunteer organization. Nobody's getting paid to do any of these street clinics. So we're getting veterinarians you know, do this work and technicians, etc. Mm-hmm. They're all donating their time. We get some supplies donated, but we have to buy things like tick and flea medication, heartworm prevention. And people that bought these know that they're pretty darn expensive, especially yeah. for dogs. So funds actually help out, help us out the most. Okay. I did want to mention for anybody who has a special interest in, in homeless veterans, we specifically focus uh, veterans events where these homeless veterans are afforded services and we can take care of their pets for them because that's a place where we've seen how important that bond is probably in preventing even more suicides among, among these homeless veteran groups. Right. So. That would be the best way to help it. If you have interest in volunteering in, in your city, send an email to us and we can put you in touch with our, if we have a group in that city, we can put you in touch and it'd be also good if you identify what your skill set is. Okay. Even if you're not a technician or veterinarian, there's needs for other folks too. Even giving people rides sometimes comes up. That sounds great. Now you do work still at, you work at a, a clinic in what part of uh, Colorado? So I live in Fort Collins, Colorado. Okay. Uh, Northern Colorado. I'm associated with a 24-hour emergency hospital, and so I've been doing doing the emergency part of the 24-hour part for about 20 years. And um, you know, we it's not really a long-term gig because you're working all these overnights and holidays. So I've kind of phased out of those down to day shifts, and then I'm, I'm cutting back my schedule because the street dog stuff is taking more and more time. So I'm I'm actually really enjoying doing this work. It's back to basics. It's very hands-on, but we are using some high-tech stuff, like we have an ECG on our on our wow. iPhones that we can use, and we can we have a little ultrasound attachment that we can use. Um, oh, really? Little endoscope. So there's some really great high-tech toys out there can, that can really allow us to, to do some good things diagnostically. So you uh, have an app for the app, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're combining really basic care, history, physical exam with some high, high-tech tools that make it fun for veterinarians to do it. You know, street medicine is how much 
how much care can you provide with limited resources? And so that challenge is really enjoyed by many uh, veterinary practitioners and technicians. All right. Again, I am delighted to have you on our show. I see this. I know you get some media coverage. This is a book, man. You have a book right here. You have a whole show, Mammy, don't you think, in your spare time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. I probably could. My, but my spare time is non-existent. It's, it's but, watching uh, Thomas and Eddie sleep, right? Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I do for, for, for laps. <laughs> All uh, right. It's been an honor to be able to speak with you today. Everybody, I'm speaking with Dr. John Geller. He is the founder of the Street Dog Coalition and the Ladybug Fund. Please go over to those sites after the show and do what you can to help out this great cause. We all know the priceless asset we have in our home that may bark or meow and you know, there's people that live in tents and people that live on riverbeds, and they too share this common connection we have with pets, right, Dr. John? That is absolutely right. That's our, our commonality in pets, and that's, how, that's what allows us to connect with these folks, which can, can be really challenging otherwise. That's true. Well, folks, please check out his site. See what you can do to help. This cause is growing. You can give money. You can give your time. You can give both. And I also, at this time, want to... Uh, Give a special shout out to my producer, Mark Winter. He is the wizard of paws. Pet Life Radio is the number one pet radio network on the planet, and uh, he's the reason for that. So until next time, everyone, this is your flea-free host, Arden Moore, delivering just two words to all you two, three, and four-leggers out there. Oh, behave. Coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.